Hello, and welcome back to the Breadcast, a podcast feed hosted by Bread Coffee House. If you've been listening along over these last few months, you've heard two different shows on this feed. With both shows, we tried to highlight one of our core values at Bread, storytelling. We believe that stories are incredibly powerful, and we're always trying to find ways to both share our own stories, stories about faith and Jesus, but also create space for our students to allow their stories to be heard. With the semester winding down, we've taken a few weeks off to figure out what this podcast feed could look like next. We've been talking it over as a team for the last few weeks about new ways that we can share stories over the summer as you guys continue to be spread all across the world. And then the last week gave us an answer. As you all know, the death of George Floyd, an unarmed black man at the hands of a Minneapolis police officer, along with many other deaths of innocent people of color, has brought to light a major problem in our country. That the system in which we live is not and has never been equitable to people of color. As a white man, I don't feel qualified to speak any more to this, nor should I. But we as a staff want to do something to help. As we prayed over what we could do in the immediate moment, the phrase say something kept coming to mind to all of us. And this is where this podcast comes in. Like I said, we believe stories are important, and we want to use this feed over the next eight weeks to amplify the voices of our black students, allowing them to share their own stories of life as a black person in America. We hope that by hearing their stories, we will all come to better understand the major problems that we face, grow in love and empathy towards our neighbors, and maybe even think of ways that we can all not just say something, but do something to make this world more full of love and more full of God's grace. First up this week is our very own Will O'Neill. I hope you enjoyed this interview. My name is William O'Neill II. I go by Will. I was born in Birmingham, Alabama, and I moved to Atlanta, Georgia when I was three years old, um, and that, where I, that is where I was raised. Um, I'm a rising junior at Emory University, studying playwriting and film studies, and I'm black. What was the first moment where you remember realizing your skin color? The first time... I realized my skin color was probably elementary school. Um, There were many, so I went, most of my life I've been in friend groups and spaces and places where I was the minority. I went to a mostly all white uh, high school, um, elementary and middle school, and I had mostly white friends and it made no difference to me. Like I didn't see a difference between me and someone else, but I think the note, the moment I realized my color was when my parents started to ask me, do you have any more black friends? Um, and looking back, I get what they were doing because they wanted me to have a community where I could see myself um, and other individuals and have um, a connection where it was, it was a connection that was both a friendship and a cultural connection um, to each other. Um, and I would always be like, yes, but I connect with more the people that I'm hanging out with because like we share the same sort of things. Like we love the same music and we love the same films and like mm-hmm. we love to do the same things. Um, so I don't see the reason why like I need to find something else if I, I'm finding all that I need in this community, in this friend group. 
I think that's that's the moment I realized that I was different. Um, but I never really took that seriously until later in life. Race was a not a constant discussion, but a very prevalent one in our household. Um, we were my parents were very big on knowing African American history and the civil rights movement and where we came from um, and our history because it's important. Um, and the, there was always, always a phrase where it was like, remember, like, don't forget that you're black. And I think that went two ways. It went, one, like, don't forget that you're black. And that's powerful because you've come from a family lineage that has gone through a lot. Um, and that makes you strong. But also, don't forget that you're black because that means that you're held to a higher standard in the country that you live in um, than most people. What do you think that meant? Um... I think it meant that me being black, um, specifically in America and in the South where I was growing up, I had um, less room for error. So growing up, I would always, my my dad wears a suit everywhere he goes, um, like like a weekends job work. He's also a pastor, so that makes sense. But like, you know, like in the cartoons where like you look in their closet and they have the same outfit over and over and over again. That's that's my dad with suits. Um, and I asked him like why. And he said when he grew up, he learned to always dress better than the other people in the room, even if it was a casual event, because he knew as an African-American male, um, climbing the ladder of successes and like business and like wherever he was in America, it, he had to do a bit more to be respected because of his skin color. And so he, he taught me to do the same. Um, so I always had to wear a belt. My shoes had to be clean, like my clothes ironed, um, always had to have a haircut. It was neat. The line was straight because um, if someone were to look at me and I was not dressed properly, that mixed with my skin color could could um, place on me expectations or not expectations, but um, stereotypes that weren't true to who, what my character was. Mm -hmm. um, but never, uh, someone doesn't really know your character until they talk to you and get to know you. Um, but my dad was like, if you don't dress above everyone else if you don't look neat if you don't um act this way and act perfect almost in a sense then no one will get the chance or no one will take the chance to know who you are first mm. um so that was that was the biggest conversation of race um in my household growing up just being held to a higher standard than you know the average the average person yeah you mentioned earlier that you realized just from how your friends look different than you at a young age that you were different, but it wasn't until you were older that you began to take it more seriously. I'm curious if there's any specific moments from when you got older that sort of made you take that more seriously. I can't remember in my mind a specific event where that became more obvious. I do remember there's always subtle things. So like, you know, as as anyone does, like growing up, middle school is your awkward years and like every like every individual is going through so much change and figuring out who you are. Um, and hey, that can that continues the rest of your life, especially like in high school, like people like kids are like kids are like kids and like you have you know, you have racial things on top of just like kids saying like dumb things and then like doing dumb things. Um, but I really started to notice it when that, like the same and I love my friends to death like I the friends that I made in high school and middle school um, were still 
close, like really close, and I love them dearly. Um, mainly because I went um, to a high school where I went from kindergarten all the way to 12th grade. Um, so there was no changing school. So the people that I knew in kindergarten, I grew up with them until we graduated high school. And so I, like, I was always the minority in my friend group because I was attracted to the people who we sh I shared the most in common with. Um, and I think when I started to notice race more was when, uh, like, you would go into the cafeteria and all the black kids would be at one table and all the white kids would be at another table. And it was, it wasn't a segregated school at all, but that's just how we sat. Like, that's, like, you had, you know how you usually, like, in the movies, you have the nerd table, you have the jock table, you have, like, that's, like, true. Um, but it was really disparaged because the black, the black kids would sit together and the white kids would sit together. And I would be sitting at the table with, like, all of, like, the white kids because they were truly my friends. And... I think at that moment when people started, you know, like pointing it out to me that, and my parents pointing it out to me that I had, you know, mostly like white friends. Um, and my sisters are social butterflies, so she had like, she was friends with everyone, but I feel like she was more connected into the black community in a school space than I was. Um, only because, not because I... I don't know, not because, like, I was, like, ashamed of being black or anything, although that plays a part in, I think, a lot of people, and maybe some part in my story, but only because, like, they were, they were my friends and they were with people I hung out with, and there would be jokes about, like, you lost your black car, like, where's your black car, like, you're not really, you're not really black, you're, like, you're an Oreo, like, you're white on the inside, but you're black on the outside sort of thing. Um, like, that was never true. I just saw, not that I didn't see color, because, like, that's not a good thing, but, like, I saw color. It was just, I... I saw my friends as who my friends were. And I was friends with, like, the black kids as well. Like, well, some of my closest friends are black. Um, but, like, on a day-to-day, -day, the majority of my friends were white. Um, and that's that's one of the things my parents talked about, too, about, um, like, what school they were going to put me in growing up because they... I went to a Christian school, a private Christian school. So they wanted me to have um, education through the lens of Christ and through the lens of the gospel. Um, but that came at the price of being in a place where I was the minority. Um, there were only like maybe 10 more African-American kids in my class out of maybe like 70. So like it was really like disparaged in that way. Um, but I, like, like I said before, I grew up in spaces and places where I was always a minority. Um, and so maybe, I don't know, maybe the chances of, or the majority of how many kids were white and how many were black, um, maybe that was a thing of who I would become friends with. Like, it was a more, it was a prob the probability was higher that I would have friends that were white than uh, friends who were black. Um, but I didn't grow up thinking in that way. You know, it was just always pointed out to me that that's what was happening. Um, and I would always, like, it was always not an insecurity, but a thing where I was like, like, I know I'm black. Like, I haven't forgotten that. Like, I know where I come from. It's just, I connect more with these people. And I connect some levels with these people as well. It's just like, I, like, it was, it was politics in a way, you know? It was like, like, I don't want my friendships to be political. I want my friendships to be genuine and intimate and share the things I want to share with people. Um, but that was, I think that's when I started to notice it more. When it's, when, um, you know, people start changing and like growing up and like, you know, um, 
middle school and high school is where everything is just people trying to figure out who they are. And I was always told that I forgot who I was, um, but I had it. What do you think they meant by that? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, like I, like I, like even those, even the, um, my black friends from high school, like I still talk to them, uh, pretty often, uh, more now since everyone's been quarantined, like it's been great to reach out to friends that I haven't talked to in a while, but, um, like I was close, but I, the majority of my friends, um, were white. And I say I, growing up, like late high school, um, when middle school had died down and people like maybe settled into more secure their identity and things like that, um, I got closer to, you know, um, black friends and stuff like that. But there were, there were two, I won't name them by name, uh, but there were two, uh, friends who were black that I stayed with from kindergarten all the way up. And those, the, my black friends were the friends houses I would go over and spend time with and spend the night with um for some reason it wasn't it wasn't the my white friends that I spent the night over their house except for like a few times but I don't know for some reason if my and my parents were more they were friends with my black friends parents or then they were friends with my white friends parents um only because I think they connected on a deeper level and that was another aspect to where like yeah go hang out with I don't know, I call him, I don't know, Bob's house because I know Bob's parents um, more than I know, you know, these other person's, person's parents. So it was, and really that's how you become friends in school as well as friends of your parents. They become friends with their, oh, like your kids play together. And, and those were always the African-American bonds that um, were built. And so like the friends that I did that with were still like very tight. Um, like we're all like doing the arts, which is really cool. Um, so we can, like, support each other in that and, like, see each other, like, doing, like, great things in college and stuff, um, which has been amazing. Um, but I don't know, it all, I think it all comes down to our identity and where we feel connected um, and known and loved. And I feel like people were saying that I didn't, I forgot who I was because I wasn't, I guess as connected as some people would have liked me seen into the black community and within school. Um, because a lot of the times when you're black, you're seen as black and then you're seen as human. So you're, uh, if you're African American and you have a darker skin tone, it's like, that's your identity first. And then whatever you want it to be after that can come. But first you are black. And I think um, that has a lot to do with the questions and the confusion that I kind of went through in that time um, was I want to be seen as human first and pick my friends based on that rather than I'm black first, let me pick my friends based on that and then find the humanity within. Um, so I think that's where the, where the conflict came. But like I said, it was like a very minor thing. Like it wasn't like a huge, like every day, like I never was bullied or anything. It was just like a, a constant thing in the back of my mind that I, made me think, you know, just like little comments or like little jokes and stuff like that. That um, it was passing in the moment, but to me, I thought about it a lot. So your dad's a pastor 
and you went to a Christian school. I'm curious how your faith community and race played a role together. Race was never really a thing we talked about in church or in a Christian school. It was sort of yeah. like the thing that was, it was the unsaid thing, I guess. Um, like you could see it in the social constructs of classes and where people sat, but it was never addressed. Um, and like even with like, like in churches and in a Christian school, like they would always talk about like the problems or the things like we deal with in life. Um, and race was never one of those main things that would come up. Um, and going to predominantly all-white Christian school, there was also no like gospel black music as well. So I grew up on contemporary Christian music and um, like I loved it. Like I, that's what I grew up on. So that's what I like tend to go towards now. Um, but like when I went to church on Sundays, it was like gospel choir, like, you know, like, um, like 40 people in the congregation stand, like just belting their hearts out. And then I would go to school and it'd be like, you know, guitar, acoustic guitar band. And like, it was very different. So I felt like I was living these two lives of weekday and then weekend and then like weekday, predominantly white school and then weekend, like black family gatherings. Like, so I, I had both, um, and I know not many people have that. And I want to say, like, I was very privileged as an African-American to grow up um, in a private school, uh, never had to worry about what I was going to eat the next day or um, whether I had a home or whether I had a roof over my head. My parents are still together. They have been for 23 years now. Um, so I and I was always told that I was always told, remember that you're also privileged. Um, and I was like, but I don't feel like it because I can't get these, these, this, and all these things that I want. Um, but as I got older, I was like, wow, like I really, once I started hearing other people's stories and where other people came from, I was like, wow, I really am privileged. And I'm thankful for that. But with that privilege comes living between these two lives because I'm trying to get this education, but I'm also trying to figure out who I am um, as an African-American living in America and also a minority, a minority in these circles, you know? Um, so yeah, but race was never really, never really a topic that was prevalent in church. Well, my dad, my, my dad was my pastor, so I got the conversations at home, but never in the pulpit. Um, and then at school, it was never a thing that was, it was a thing that was a problem sometimes in school, but it was never a thing that was addressed until huge issues came up. Um, it had something really had to happen for people to talk about race. Yeah. Well, obviously, right now, the thing that everyone is thinking about is how the marginalized communities have been disproportionately yeah. affected by the police. Um, and that's on everyone's mind. And so I'm just curious, uh, what have your experiences been like with the police? I, I have never had an extremely negative experience with a police officer. Um, I was always taught that to if i were to be pulled over um to act in the most respectful way possible um we have my me and my dad have to talk and so i i've learned to drive my wallet on my dashboard like above my steering wheel um say yes sir like all the things um don't do anything they didn't ask you to do um like ask like do you want me to do this tell them what you're doing when you're doing it um and I love rap music, 
like I love, like I grew up on rap and hip hop. Well, first Christian rap and hip hop because I wasn't allowed to listen to anything else. <laughs> but when I could, I would like make secret mixtapes of like Eminem and like all the, all the other guys and like listen to it. And so like when I when I turned 16 and got a car and was able to drive, I would like be blasting that <laughs> when my parents weren't in the car. Um, but when I get pulled over, I was always turn it off like completely, like no rap music at all. Um, like if I was listening to like Christian music, I would like turn it up just a little bit, you know, like like have it playing softly in the background, just so they can know that I was a Christian or if that meant anything to them. Um, but no, I have not like been, you know, racial profiled by a police officer or um, anything like that. I um, I'm always frightened. Like whenever I get pulled over, I was probably because of speeding. Um, but every time I see like a cop inside the room, my, my heart starts racing faster. Not because I know I'm gonna get pulled over because I'm speeding, because that, I mean, if you're speeding, you probably aren't gonna get pulled over, but because there's the there's the heavier implications of what could happen um, if I make one wrong move or, you know, if something were to go down, even if it just was speeding and I didn't have anything else in the car, it's seeing the stories of police brutality police brutality specifically in the african-american community it's scary you know because i mean yeah i grew up in a predominantly white high school um and even in college and all my circles were like that but when a police officer sees me they don't know that they just see me as you know um black at the moment um so i have to take precautions i don't know to ease their fears i guess um and yeah so yeah yeah thanks for sharing that shifting gears a little bit uh you're in college now so uh and i know yeah. you have been uh to two schools now you've been to florida state and now at emory uh yeah. and so i'm yeah. curious how has your experience of diversity uh changed now that you've been in college um it hasn't changed that much <laughs> to be honest um in college i in my program in college, I was the only African-American male in my program. Um, again, by, and had, my friends were predominantly white, again. Um, and, like, I don't know why that that is, um, but, like, it, it was just a continuation of the high school thing. Um, I saw, like, a few black people around campus, but not many. Um, and there's, there was a, a petition going around the other day about, for Florida State of having everyone take, um, a, like an African-American class or like a, a racial class, a race in America class to know and be educated about, um, how different groups of people are treated, um, even if you don't always notice it. Um, and I think like the African-American percentage at Florida State is like 8% and it's like 60% like white. Um, so there, again, I was placed in a space where I was the minority. Um, and like, I was very privileged and grateful to go to Florida State. Um, because I mean, we, it was out of state and like my parents like allowed me to go. Um. And then when I came, after two years there, I left, came home, started going to Emory. It's much more diverse than Florida State was um, in many ways. 
but I, I don't know. And I've only been there for what, a month and a half, and then quarantine <laughs> happened. So like this, this was my first. Uh, and I no, well, the spring was my first semester, um, and then in March everyone went home and it was quarantined for the rest. <laughs> so I haven't really had a true experience at Emory yet, so I can't really speak to that as much. Um, but from when I was there, I didn't see many African American uh, males there. Um, it was like the same, and there were many races are um, represented at Emory, um, but I'm specifically talking about um, African American um, males. I didn't see many um, when I was there. So, um, like I said, like all my life, I haven't like I haven't been in a place except for like family gatherings and at home and on the weekends and like Christmas and all that, where I've been in a African American rich environment what has the last week been like for you yeah so I mean a lot has happened this week and there was there was a lot of emotion um there's a lot of fear a lot of anger um a lot of sadness uh when I first when I first heard about everything um well I first started with a mod and then um that whole thing and I I watched that video and I was like I was just heartbroken um, it just, like, I, like, there have been many cases like this before. Um, the first one that I remember, um, was Trayvon Martin's. And after that one, I remember that in public, I was afraid to wear a hood anymore. Um, cause being black with a hood on, I was like, that's terrifying to some people. Um, you know, um, and so I, I did it for a while. Um, but when I heard about Ahmad's and then, uh, George Floyd's came out and then Breonna Taylor's like with all in the same week, I was like, I just felt very heavy and hopeless. And I didn't even feel like doing, like, I, I'm still in school right now. I'm in summer school and I didn't feel like doing none of the assignments or reading or like typing a paper on something that I read because there were like, there are bigger things going on right now than doing these small assignments, you know? Um, the world is like crying and struggling and weeping um, and angry and for good reason. And I felt all of that, um, especially that first day into the second, into the third. And I talked to like a few friends who were feeling the same way um, and just letting each other know that like we're here for anything that each other's need. And it's good to have that um, because we can't, like carrying that burden and that weight and that fear alone um is paralyzing um and i guess that's the word for it. i felt paralyzed um and I, I couldn't even watch the george floyd video after i had watched the first one because i was like i'm just not gonna i'm just not gonna do that and at this point um a week has passed and protests and everything are still going on and I've been, you know, consuming the news and consuming the Twitter feeds and the Instagram feeds of like the videos that are happening on the streets and everything. And I feel at this point that I'm just numb to it all, which isn't a great thing to be. Um, it's not great to be apathetic towards it. Like I, I felt the empathy and I felt the pain and, and, and the tears and everything. But at this point, I'm like tired and um, numb to it. I guess that's the word. And I just had to distance myself a bit from it um, because it can take a negative toll on you um, 
constantly like I was like constantly like all day like consuming consuming the information because I wanted to be informed and I wanted to have the information um, and I wanted to know the avenues and ways in which I could help and I did and but at this point like today I was like I just need a break and so I like took a break off of everything I was like I'll come back to it when I feel like I have the emotional space to deal with everything that's going on so that's where I am it's been a heavy week it's been a long week um and then school on top of that, like having to, having real life responsibilities on top of yeah. the world, like burning, you know, like the world, like falling, like apart. Um, there was an earthquake in California yesterday and it was like, yeah, it's just so much going on and it's just difficult to hold it all within, you know, your mind and try to grasp it. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Well, as you know, uh, we always do have you considered questions at the end of any of our stories from stage. We find it a yeah. really great way to turn our stories back around and say, here's what I want you to hear and to consider and to think about in your own life. So do you have any, have you considered questions for us from your story? Yeah, I, uh, I have three. So have you considered that education and knowledge is the way to empathy and therefore love. Have you considered the way to healing is through the wound and discomfort and not around it? And have you considered that the opposite of love is not hate, but actually apathy and indifference? Mm. 